The scripture reading for today is from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, and I'll be reading from the ESV. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Caleb. I'm the pastor of student ministries here at Providence. And it is always a, a joy and a privilege to open God's word with you, but that is especially true for me this morning. I am beyond blessed to have these weeks to open God's word with you. And I have been praying that through our time together in God's word, that he would challenge and conform us to the image of his son. So before we dive into our text for this morning, can I invite you to pray with me to that end? Father, we come before you this morning um, hesitant to pray a, a dangerous prayer. We ask, Father, that you would be among us this morning. We ask that you would be at work in our lives, that you would speak to us, encourage us, comfort us, challenge us, shape us into the image of your Son, we pray. Father, I ask also for myself, because the reality is I could spend a hundred years studying this text, and rewrite this sermon a thousand times, but without you, it is just feeble words. So, Father, would you take these humble reflections, and would you infuse them with your power, so that you and you alone might be glorified. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Who are we? Where are we going? What is the point of all of this? These are questions we wouldn't have to ask ourselves if we were a horse. If we were a horse, we could just graze and frolic to our heart's content without a care in the world. But we are not horses, are we? And so we have to ask questions like this. Questions like, what are we all doing here on Sunday mornings? Or, or even more generally, what are we as Christians trying to do? Thankfully, Jesus gives his followers the answers to these questions as he's returning to prepare, for, uh, returning to the Father. Uh, in Acts chapter 1, the last thing that he told his followers was that they were to be his witnesses. Witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, when we typically think of a witness, we think of someone who has witnessed a violent crime and now has to give uh, an account of that in a court of law. And that's pretty close to how the Bible understands being a witness, uh, though it, it's not quite so uh, violent or negative. Uh, to be a witness means that you observed something that is significant 
or important. And if you're called upon to share your experience, to, to share your observations, it was referred to as bearing witness. And that's what Jesus is calling his followers to do. They are to bear witness to all that he is and has done. Seems pretty clear, right? And yet, knowing what we should do is really only helpful if we also understand how to do it. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. We are beginning this series called Mind the Gaps. We want to look at how we can bridge where we are to where God calls us to be. How can we be the witnesses that Jesus has called us to be? Because there are certainly gaps that are working against us, which we'll look at in the upcoming weeks. But, but today, I want us to zero in and understand on what will work for us. Today, I want us to answer the question, how can we pursue Jesus' calling on our lives? And to answer that, I want us to turn our attention to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. I want us to look at how the early church was pursuing Jesus' call on them and what that means for us. And so from our text, I want us to make three movements. I want us to look at the practice of pursuing our call, our problem with pursuing our call, and God's provision for pursuing our call. Now, as we come to this text, it's important to understand what type of text it is. This is Luke's summary of what the early church was doing at its inception. And the key interpretive question for us is, why is Luke sharing this with us? Is Luke being descriptive? Is he just telling us, like a good historian, what happened? Or is it prescriptive? Is he telling us what should be happening in all churches at all times? And I think the answer is yes. That, that in this text, we have both principles, things that, that all Christians should be doing, and particulars, the, the ways that the early church was going about living out these principles. And so while, while the particulars are insightful, we really want to zero in on the principles. And there are two of them, both found in verse 42 which tells us that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And so the first principle is that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, which actually sounds a little strange, doesn't it? Because wouldn't you expect the followers of Jesus to be devoted to, I don't know, Jesus' teachings? And yet this actually makes a lot of sense in light of the Great Commission, uh, you may recall that at the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus instructs his followers to go and make disciples. And part of that was to teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. See, the apostles' teaching is not something new that the apostles cooked up after Acts chapter 1. No, it, it's the faithful continuation and application of Jesus' teachings. That, that, that's what the, the New Testament is. It's key leaders in the early church instructing their audiences how to obey Jesus' commands. And so to be devoted to the apostles' teaching means that the early church was sitting underneath it, that they were being instructed by and shaped by their teaching. Now, the particular way they did this is in verse 46. They would go day by day to the temple to hear the word of the Lord read 
And then they would disperse and the apostles would teach on it through the interpretive lens of Jesus. That wouldn't really work for us today because the apostles are no longer with us. And so for us to be devoted to the apostles' teaching means that we are devoted to this, the written record of the apostles' teaching. So here at Providence, this devotion looks like what we're doing right now, gathering together to sit underneath and receive the word of the Lord. It also looks like what we do personally in our devotions, where we open God's word and personally engage with him. We do this because we are devoted to the apostles' teaching. So we could summarize this first principle like this. To be devoted to the apostles' teaching means that we are devoted to following Christ. And that gets coupled with the second principle, uh, which is fellowship. Now, Now take a second and think about what does Christian fellowship look like? My guess is you just had two thoughts. Your first thought was something to do with food, whether it be a church picnic, church potluck, or maybe a meal you shared with your small group, which leads you to the second thought, that, that, that Christian fellowship typically takes place in a smaller group where, where you share meals and prayer requests and things like that. And that does fit with Luke's description of fellowship. He further defines it as the breaking of bread, sharing a meal, and the prayers. But fellowship, we must understand, is not something that we can put on our calendars. Uh, the idea of fellowship that Luke has here is far more robust than ours typically is. Uh, he's using this, this great Greek word koinonia, which means to share in common, which actually isn't that helpful. So we're going to look at the particular way the early church did koinonia, which is what verses 44 and 45 share with us. There, Luke says that all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, I, I know some of you with your capitalist bent have been loading up to tear Luke's communist agenda apart. But let me reassure you, this is not the Bible's case for communism. Uh, in fact, if you were to turn over to Acts chapter 4, you'd see that several of the early Christians still have private property. Luke is not saying that private property was gone in the early Christian community. What he's saying is that no one claimed exclusive rights to their property. No one was saying, it is no concern of mine whether your family has food or things like that. Instead, there was such a radical care for the brothers and sisters in Christ that, that people were happily liquidating their assets so that that need might be met. Why would they do that? Well, it's because koinonia is more than an event or a meal. Koinonia is, is taking what we believe and living that out in our relationships with others. Koinonia is shared life with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so you could summarize the second principle like this. Koinonia means together in all of its complexities. And this is how the early church pursued Jesus' calling for them. They followed Christ together. And that is what we are all about here at Providence as well. Sure, the particulars look different, 
We aren't going to be selling off people's property if a need arises. We have the benevolence fund for that. But the principles, the principles remain the same because this is how the early church pursued Jesus' calling. This is how we pursue Jesus' calling. This is how Christians pursue Jesus' calling. Okay, great. So uh, what's the problem you're talking about, Caleb? Because this all looks pretty good to me. And you're right, it is a glowing summary of what the early church was about. But if you look closely, you'll see an issue that we have with these verses. It's in verse 42. You see it? It's that little word, devoted. See, devotion is a scary thing. Because to be devoted to the apostles' teaching doesn't mean that we just show up on a Sunday or we read a chapter of the Bible each day. To be devoted to the apostles' teaching means that every area of our life, every area, comes under this. And to be devoted to koinonia doesn't mean that you attend most of your small group gatherings. It means that you are sacrificially sharing all that is yours with others. See, this type of devotion that we find in Acts chapter 2 is the type that upends and reshapes your entire life. And that really doesn't appeal to us that much. I think, though we would never put it quite this crassly, I think that we are more interested in dabbling in Jesus than we are in being devoted to him. You know, people dabble in a lot of things, don't they? Sports, music, video games, art, the stock market, woodworking, etc. And the reason people do this, the reason people dabble in things, is because it enhances their life. It makes their life better, so much so that it can actually help them get through difficult times. Uh, we saw a perfect example of this in 2020, didn't we? With the uh, sourdough bread-making craze. Now, let's be honest, how many got like, roped into that? Anyone? A few? Okay. It was, it was all the rage. Everyone was making sourdough bread. Everyone was super devoted to it. Why? Well, because it enhanced their life. It, it was a difficult time for people. We were in lockdown. The hours were crawling by, and sourdough bread just made things a little bit better. It helped us get through that difficult time. But my hunch is that, that most of the people who were super into sourdough bread making are no longer so. Uh, perhaps they no longer have time, or perhaps they found something else that... Uh, that enhances their life even more. But whatever the reason, uh, their devotion is no longer there. And, and I think it's safe to say that very few people were actually devoted to baking sourdough bread. Uh, they were simply very enthusiastically dabbling in it. And I think that's our tendency with Jesus, uh, to grossly misquote JFK. We ask not what we should do for Jesus, but we ask what Jesus can do for us. Now, now you might feel like I'm mischaracterizing us a little bit. Like This sounds more like uh, someone who would uh, be following the prosperity gospel, waiting for a handout from God. And, and I want to agree with you, but I'd also encourage you to think about when do you follow Jesus? Let me actually narrow that question just, just a little bit. How do you follow Jesus when everything is going well? 
Because it's my experience that when things get difficult, that, that when the money is tight, when the kids are making destructive decisions, when your marriage is struggling, when you really need the seller to accept your offer rather than the other 25 offers in for the house, when you want the promotion or some other good fortune to befall you, when you need Jesus to enhance your life and get you through a difficult season, that's when we're devoted to him. But what happens after the difficulty has passed? What happens after we get the thing we wanted? Typically, our devotion wanes. And what that means is that we are trying to leverage Jesus, not follow him. That we're actually devoted to something else. And we're trying to use Jesus to pursue it. Now, now, perhaps I am being a, a little harsh with, with the dabbling. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to say that no one is devoted to Jesus. But what I am trying to say is that there is a gap between our devotion to Jesus and the devotion to Jesus we are called to have. And I think that's pretty evident with how we talk about salvation. Uh, typically, we talk about salvation as being saved from something, uh, we are saved from sin and destruction and death and the wrath of God, all at no cost to you, I might add, which is absolutely true. Praise God. Uh, Ephesians 2 tells us that by grace, we are saved through faith. It's not a result of work, so no one can boast. First Peter 2, we are, we are called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are saved from something, and that cost us nothing. But... We are also saved for something. Yes, we are saved by grace so that we might be his workmanship and do the good works that he's called us to do. Yes, he has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light so that we might declare how excellent he is to the world. Yes, we have been saved from something, but we have also been saved for something. And that can cost us everything. It's actually right there in the name. Now, I am not a big fan of throwing around Greek words in a sermon. I have already broken that, uh, that rule once, and I'm going to break it again. So that should tell you this is very important. Um, do you know what the Greek word for witness is? It's martyreo. It's where we get our word martyr. See, it's right there in the name. To, to be devoted to Jesus, to be his witness, means it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you a lot. It might cost you your standing in certain circles. It might cost you uh, a, a higher uh, seat on the corporate ladder. It might cost you your wealth, your relationships, your family. It can cost you anything, and it can cost you everything. And that's what comes with being devoted to Jesus. And that's the problem we have. See, our problem is that we are devoted to ourselves. We are devoted to our safety, our, our happiness, our advancement. And, and, and as long as being devoted to Jesus supports our devotion to ourselves, we're all for it. Sure, I want to avoid eternity in hell. Sign me up for that. But the moment devotion to Jesus diverts from our devotion to ourselves, or the moment our devotion to Jesus tries to trump 
our devotion to ourselves, that's where we draw the line. That's where our devotion stops. Because ultimately, we are devoted to ourselves and our well-being. That's our problem of being witnesses for Jesus. So the question then to ask is, what can we do about it? What can be done? What provision is there for us to be fully devoted to following Christ together? Well, whatever the provision is, it's going to have to deal with the root of our resistance. The Bible tells us that root is sin. Uh, Not sins, not, not the things that we say, think, or do that are contrary to God's character and commands, but sin. The conviction that gives birth to sins, the belief that we are wiser, that we know better, that we care about ourselves and our well-being more than God does. This is the problem that plagued our first parents. It's the, the thing that plagues us as well. See, we struggle to be fully devoted to God because we are unconvinced that he is fully devoted to us. That under the good God facade, we think that something sinister is brewing. Which means that the only provision that could change things for us is if we somehow become convinced that God cares about us and our well-being more than we do. And that is something that God has been showing us since the beginning. In the beginning, he created mankind. But he didn't just place them in a, a desolate wasteland and say, good luck. No, he placed them in a lush garden, provided everything they could want or need. Later, when he claimed the Israelites as his own, he could have just left them in bondage in Egypt, or he could have let them die in the wilderness. But instead, he rescues them from slavery, and he guides and sustains them through the desert to the promised land. This is such a resounding theme in the Old Testament uh, that the, the most common way to speak about God is to say that he is a God of steadfast love that his love and devotion to his people is utterly unwavering. However, we are utterly unconvinced. Uh, Like Adam and Eve, we think that God is withholding the best fruits of life from us, and we need to go out and take them. Like the Israelites of old, we think that every time we enter a difficult patch that God is trying to put us in the ground or that he gets a laugh or, frankly, he just doesn't care. We are a lot like the dwarves in the Chronicles of Narnia, the last battle. So after the final battle for Narnia has has raged and subsided, Aslan shows up and he interacts with this group of dwarves. These dwarves were a, a mistrusting lot. Uh, they didn't want to be taken in by anyone who might do them harm. Which means that when Aslan shows up, the lion, the the king, the bringer of all that is good, whenever he speaks to the dwarves, they write it off as a cheap trick. It's just someone trying to hoodwink them. Or or, or when when Aslan provides a, a, a bountiful feast for them, all they taste and experience is turnips and tepid water. Now, the, the problem isn't Aslan or his provision. The problem is the dwarves and their perception. And Aslan offers a, a rather grim diagnosis of the dwarves. He says that they are so afraid of being taken in that they cannot be taken out. And that's how we are. 
our mistrust goes so deep that it seems like it could never be removed. However, there, there is one way. The Apostle Paul draws attention to it in Romans chapter 5. Uh, in Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 6, he says that, that while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God showed his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus is the ultimate demonstration of God's devotion to you. Here's how devoted God is to you. While you were still a sinner, while you were a rebellious enemy deserving to be stamped out, God sent his son to die for you so that you might have eternal, abundant life. That is the full measure of God's devotion to you. And when we witness that type of devotion, it shakes us from our slumber. It, it pulls the wool off of our eyes. It, it ignites and strengthens our devotion. Uh, that, that's the point of Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. That when someone witnesses the devotion the soldiers had who gave their life, who sacrificed their life for the others, it cannot but strengthen and ignite their own resolve, their own devotion. How much more when we, sinners and enemies of God, behold the Son of God hanging on a cross for us? When we witness the full measure of his devotion, it ignites the full measure of ours. Here's what I'm trying to say. We can't bear witness to Jesus. We cannot be fully devoted to him unless we are also witnessing Jesus. Beholding Jesus' pursuit of us is what enables us to pursue him and his calling for us. See, these practices we've been talking about only have power if the provision is in place. Being devoted to the apostles' teaching, being devoted to koinonia, they, they aren't just the ways that we bear witness to the world. They're, they're also the ways that Jesus bears witness to us. When we come under the apostles' teachings, we aren't just conformed to Jesus' commands, but we become confident in his care. And when we sacrificially share and do life with others, we don't just confound the world, but we are confronted afresh with Jesus' koinonia with us. This, this is how we pursue our call to be witnesses, by being devoted to the apostles' teaching and to koinonia. And that's why following Christ together is so important to us here at Providence, because it's what we're called to do. And we want to help you do that in a couple of tangible ways in the upcoming weeks. Uh, we'd love to help you engage with God's Word uh, through this nice little companion devotional that you can find out at the welcome desk. It'll help you uh, engage meaningfully with how we can bridge where we are and where God is calling us to be. And we also want to help you share your life with others. We'd love to help you get connected so that you can know and be known. 
Uh, pastor Brian, our pastor of connections and small groups, will be out in the foyer after the service. I would encourage you, if you're searching for that, go talk to him. Go, go, go up to him and say, Pastor Brian, I would like to experience Koinonia here at Providence. It will make his day. <laughs> yes, I'm getting a nod. It will make his day. Good. Um, brothers and sisters, here's the point. We are not horses. We are witnesses. So let us be devoted to bearing witness to all that Jesus is and has done. Let us be his witnesses in Avon, in all of Northeast Ohio, and to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, uh, and we thank you that you have not left us confused or in the dark of what you've called us to do, but that you've made it abundantly clear, and you've provided the, the means for us to do that. Father, we confess, I confess, that oftentimes our devotion to ourselves gets in the way of our devotion to you. And so, Father, we ask by the power of your Holy Spirit to give us eyes to see, to behold afresh your great love and devotion to us that we see ultimately in Jesus. Father, would you help us be a church devoted to being witnesses for you? Even now, Father, as we prepare our hearts for communion, as we prepare to sing your praises, Father, would our hearts be softened, that we rejoice in the devotion that you've displayed toward us in your Son. We ask all of this in his name. Amen.